Welcome to Rhythm of Previous, where we check out the preview chapters of Rhythm of War, the fourth Stormlight Archive novel. I'm Danielle with 17th Shard. And hi, I'm Marvin. Hi. As always, hey. there will be Rhythm of War spoilers, obviously, from here on out, and then also some minor Mistborn references here and there. So with that being said, Marvin. What did we learn from Brandon's annotations this week? Yeah, so as always, we didn't have them last week yet. So you'll get the ones for last week's chapter, so chapter seven now. And for in these annotations, Brandon basically talked about what he himself calls the skeletal syndrome of <laughs> writing. And that basically means that you always have sort of the same threads coming back and like in he-man how skeletal always was the one big bad sort of that always came back and how he wants to avoid it more or less what his plan for the stormlight archive is which you can really see in how the books are written is how he wants to slowly turn from the more mundane threads uh, to increasingly supernatural ones and basically have more cosmic aware foes so we have in these chapters we already had like the new fuse type who uh, is a much more supernatural foe than, mm -hmm. say, Sidious. And that's basically what Brenton said there. And he also added that we can expect to see more about Ristaris and Thydeka in this mm -hmm. book. And we talked about Ristaris last time. And for those who don't know, Thydeka is sort of a higher up, or one of the leading figures of the Ghostbloods. We don't know much more than that. They're called Master, and that's about it. So, yeah, excited to learn more about them. Yeah. And I mean, this is going to be a 10 book series. Mm. He's got to up the ante every book. So <laughs> yeah, going to be fun. Mm. And uh, I guess I should also point out that that's why we saw ILI die so early on and so quickly because Brandon right. said he could have spent a whole book talking about how, how they topple her little empire but uh, it just wouldn't have been as interesting or he would rather mm -hmm. would rather focus on the newer enemies. Yeah. That's why that was a year between and then he starts <laughs> off, you know, with a bang. So let's get into this chapter. We'll start with the epigraph again. Um, basically the epigraph says that a warning Fabriel can be made from a bronze cage with Heliodor. And this is done for some unknown good reason, although she does mention other gemstones can be used. What do you think about that? I mean, of course, bronze would be used for letters because that's like going from the last epigraph that has to be the case now. And yeah, I absolutely love that. Uh, it definitely we makes continue sense with the connections. So like, Bronze and Mistborn used for detecting Allomancy, but then also in um, Ferrukami, 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 um, <laughs> it's used to store wakefulness and um, you know alertness. <laughs> mm -hmm. oh, so I didn't, yeah, I didn't even think of it that way. Yeah, but yeah. That's cool. But um, then, what? Yeah, what else the bronze made me think of is, and that it's use uh, that they use a Heliodor. It's actually that mm -hmm. we have. Um, in Mistborn Secret History, we do have the Irie, and they have basically a, the, a, an alert of Fabriel for sort of detecting shadows from Therndry, is what they say. Mm -hmm. And it also is described as, or Kelsia describes it as having been, or the metal cage is being made of an 
a golden metal, which I guess you can describe bronze as golden, mm -hmm. and a yellow gemstone set in it. So that's a Heliodor, more is. or less, which is... I know from Way of Kings, and I admit, I had to look it up on the Copper <laughs> Mind, but from Way of Kings, they, it was mentioned that Heliodor was used for um, soul casting meat. So I wonder if the Heliodor has like some other properties um, specific to like, like sensing bodies or something like mm -hmm. that, like a living people or something like that. And something else that I, yeah, and something else I theorized is that maybe because Heliodors are the Bondsmith gemstone, you know, like it's their mm -hmm. uh, association, and Bondsmith are all about connection and bonding people and things like that. So maybe it's also related to that that the gemstone serves as a a very good focus, more or less, for mm -hmm. detecting these sort of connections. But yeah. I, I'm sure we'll learn more about <laughs> that. Like, it seems weird to just be mentioned and then be like, oh, you know, other gemstones can be used too. Mm -hmm. So, but that's interesting in and of itself because, mm -hmm. like, the gemstone doesn't be as important as some people have yeah. theorized so far. It's not as important as the metal that's used, which is kind of interesting. Um, okay. So, chapter one is not chapter one. We're in chapter eight. <laughs> chapter eight is split into two point of views. We have Kaladin first and then Shallan and then Kaladin again. So I'll just go over the Kaladin parts. Um, so we have Kaladin entering the burning building. Um, he's jarred by that power sucking Fabriel thing. He's kind of haunted by it a little bit. He didn't like it. He follows through this burning building. Um, he's trying to avoid using his stormlight so that he can heal his burns as he's walking through the fire. Um, and then he goes down the cellar, the storm cellar, and he sees some bodies there. And they're dead, but they're not dead because of burns. They are dead from a shard blade kill because they have the burned eyes so um, Moash appears he kills Rashon in front of Kaladin um, he's taunting him like you wanted to save this guy he's one who's causing all your problems uh, Kaladin wants to fight Moash but Moash goes I surrender um, and then we have Shallan's point of view and then we come back to Kaladin and Moash and Moash is claiming that all of his murders that he's done were justified because they're his revenge and uh, he tries to get Kaladin to realize that he can't protect everyone. So it's not even worth trying. Everyone is going to die eventually. Um, Kaladin suddenly runs out of his stormlight because he had used it throughout that whole last chapter. And um, he kind of deflates. He feels numb and exhausted. And Moash is just prodding him. He's admitting he gave up his pain. And he's trying to convince Kaladin to give it up by simply not existing anymore, by killing himself. It's the only way. And suddenly a bright white light shines on them. And Kaladin actually sees an after image of Moash and he's looking more confident and he's wearing his blue uniform. And then behind him, he sees another image of Moash and he's screaming, take my pain. And then Moash forms a shard blade, which is the blade of the assassin in white and runs away. And Renarin appears from beyond the light and he tells Kaladin they're getting ready to leave. And so they, he helps them up and they, they go. That was very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> what so, do you think 
this. Like first reactions, like two things. First of all, Mawash is completely beyond re redemption at this point for me. Like there's no chance he, anybody should feel pity for him or like try to turn him good again. Mm -hmm. And also I just love Renard and showing up there and coming to the rescue. And I just want to see more of him. <laughs> I yeah. agree. Um, Moash, oh, he makes me feel so sick to my stomach. Like he's, he's so cowardly in this and he's so weak and he just wants to find the easiest way out. And he's trying to force Kaladin to make his decisions based on what Moash believes. And he's, you know, he knows how much Kaladin is suffering. They're, they were best friends and he's using that as a weapon against him, telling him to kill himself and end it and that he, nothing he does matters. It's just a horrible, horrible, mean person. And uh, Moesh is not right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The effect we have, uh, we see Moesh having on Kaladin here is just so... Oh, <laughs> he's just evil. Like he's yeah. really just like, a horrible person. And and I also and I, I don't want to blame Kaladin, but he once again blames himself, and like it only drives yeah. him further into his own self pity and how like he wants to, or his depression is enhanced by like oh I failed Marsh and all these other people and Eloka and things like that, and so ah it just. Like, I, I understand that people wanted to kind of justify Moash for killing Elokar and, you know, doing what he did. But it, in this scene right here, it really solidifies just how far gone he is, you know, like how, who could who could do something like that to somebody that they know is suffering? Like, that's that's just wrong. <laughs> that's mm -hmm. all I can say about it. <laughs> but. I do wonder just how much Marsh actually believes in it himself, like mm -hmm. whether he's just sort of using it as an excuse and wants to say, okay, yeah, I don't, I, I hate the light eyes. I don't care anymore. And I just want somebody else to sort of take responsibility for me. Like at the end, he reacts quite aggressively and says like, oh no, you took my pain away or take my pain away. And like mm -hmm. when he sees that image of himself, so I do wonder just how much he believes him in it, in it himself. Yeah. Yeah. And in that, in that instance, he was kind of like a direct opposite to Dalinar who accepted his pain and mm -hmm. he didn't want to give it up because that kind of helps define who he is as a person in his choices. And, and Moash is here like, I give it up, but it's not me, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He's just, uh, it's sad. It really is sad to see him go from, way of kings all the way to here and he's just so far gone mm -hmm. yeah but yeah renarin on the <laughs> other hand i loved the scene with him um he's so spindly still and um <laughs> he has this bright white pure light i don't know it was, his entrance was was great <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah i really like that like kennedy describes it as uh, the uh, the, pu uh, the purest white or something like mm -hmm. that he describes it like the a light. diamond mm -hmm. yeah and that show goes to show because like we know gliss is sort of corrupted in some mm -hmm. way but it goes to show that that corruption isn't bad in itself it's uh, like evil in any way it's just uh, he can still produce sort of beautiful um really yeah well, good effects pure. yeah pure 
And um, it's I mean, actually that, really yeah. interesting. Um, this after image that happened, it really reminded me of Miss Bourne uh, when she burns alimentic gold and stuff. But I wonder mm-hmm. if the light caused that after image or if Renarin intentionally caused that illusion because how would Renarin know to use that at that instance or you know is it just a distraction or was it his his light causing this shadow to appear hmm and true like hmm I, I guess Renarin saw that Kaladin was in distress and used it as dist- uh, like that seems the most logical because why mm-hmm. It would be a little weird to just happen, but yeah, it's definitely um, cool to we see know that. Navani said that Renarin's light acted mm-hmm. in strange ways, and so I was really kind of focusing on how it was acting, and it showed this is a shadow. In my reading, in my first impression, it was that the light caused this image to just appear, like like gold causes it yeah, to appear yeah. when it's burned. I agree that Renan probably doesn't have control over what he sees or what he produces, like with his sort of stained glass window, future mm-hmm. side sort of thing. He also, it just happens to him sort of. And uh, like we have seen in the last chapter that the other truth watchers can, or it actually mm-hmm. was a few chapters ago, but that the other truth watchers can actually do light weaving mostly like the, like the light weavers and that Renan is a special case. And so I do agree that it's probably sort of, just an effect of his abilities, but, uh, and he doesn't, he can control when it happens maybe at this point, but he can't control what happens. Yeah, it's very curious. I'm, I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of different ways to interpret it, I guess. We're not quite sure how it works, so we're kind of mm-hmm. <laughs> just grasping <laughs> right now. But, um, but yeah, so yeah. Renarin is here. <laughs> yeah. But what's also interesting to think about is that maybe what, was even shown there like it probably is some something to do with the spiritual realm and mm. i don't think it's technically known what exactly elementic gold or melatium does like mm. uh, one theory sort of is that it actually shows an alternative past if you had done a different or had made a different choice in your past that's at least what the invert characters theorize but it could like, technically it could also be something else, like it shows your spiritual ideals somehow something like that so um i do wonder like it probably is the same effect but what the underlying effect actually is would be interesting to finally find out <laughs> yeah it could show him taking two paths one towards odium one towards honor uh you mm-hmm. know giving up the pain or taking you know responsibility for the pain so Interesting. Uh, just one thing, quick thing I'd like yeah. to note about the Kaladin point of view here. At the beginning, we also have like we, where Kaladin and Syl talk about the aftermath of the, the Void Fabrile there. And Syl did feel a sort of or like sh- she felt more distant or uh, faded, like she would fade away. Mm-hmm. So it didn't only affect uh, Kaladin there, uh, that smothering sort of feeling. So maybe it was because their bond was affected by it it's in some way, or maybe it's like all magic just, uh, or all investiture gets affected in some way. Just gets like dampened I, all around. Mm-hmm. I wonder how it affected, you know, um, like the edge dancers and mm-hmm. that were there, like how they felt and how their spren felt, like if it affects the different people differently like um if you use mostly like an external 
sort of investiture versus an internal investiture, mm-hmm. how that would feel differently. Yeah, definitely something that uh, Navani better find out in the future. Yes. Chapters. All right. Moving on, we had also had a Shalan POV in this chapter. And basically, we last chapter, we saw her... Um, our ILI died and then the rest of our, her crew arrived with like the other light viewers or Red and uh, Vatha and the others. And so in this chapter, we see her and um, her crew, they inspect ILI's rooms and the cops as well. And at the beginning, her personas sort of have a conversation about how well they actually have gotten in the last year and that they still don't remember everything and are maybe stagnating in their progress. And that leaving that conversation sort of alone because Shalan doesn't really want to think about that. Um, she tries to follow Ayla's hints and starts tasting the different wines she has in her sort of cabinet. And she finds the Shin wine, which tastes weird to them, which is really fun. Like Adolin says that uh, the Shin have one ki- only one kind of wine and this, it's made from these weird, weird berries. So probably grapes. <laughs> and she then also has patterns sweep the room for any oddities he can find because he's really good at finding patterns. And then pattern actually finds that we have sort of a repeating pattern of like 10 markings, which are presumably sort of the silver kingdoms. And at one of these patterns, which is of Shinova, or it's like a map of Shinova, she actually finds a notebook in a hidden compartment behind a brick. And uh, that's basically, she doesn't want anybody to see her taking it. And that's how her point of view ends. Yeah. So what did you think? Well, um, Shalon admits she's functioning um, using these personalities, but she's not getting better. And it doesn't seem like she's putting that as a priority. You know, Vale tells her she needs to start remembering the difficult things. And she's like, some other time, you know. Um, but she does admit to herself that she's using these personalities as a way to cope with, you know, her her mm-hmm. her past, but that she's not going forward she's not progressing she's just stagnant and she doesn't seem to care that much of course her other personalities the other of the three do they're like we need to we need to move on (laughs) which is kind of (laughs) interesting that she has this like kind of battle within herself about that and uh, we didn't actually talk about this last time but uh, we had one scene um, in chapter seven where Shalan sort of she perceived reality as sort of fuzzy and was almost like she couldn't tell reality from fiction at one mm-hmm. point. That's directly after I Lie Dieth, I think, is when it happens. And uh, people theorized, and I think it's actually not, it's a good theory, I think, that maybe she did kill ILI herself after all, because he, she also in this uh, chapter sort of avoids looking at her at the corpse and doesn't really want to that's her uh, acknowledge that mm-hmm. she, yeah, exactly. And um, she still keeps secrets from herself. Like we see that in this chapter, she doesn't want to acknowledge like, that there are still secrets in her past. So maybe she did kill her after all. And um, unreliable narrator has just turned to 11 in this book. Mm-hmm. I was actually thinking about that too when I was reading it. When she mentioned like ghost bloods in her inner circle, Mm -hmm. in my mind, inner circle would mean like in (laughs) her circle. So I'm wondering if she has like a ghost blood 
loyalist personality or something that is cut off from her own consciousness by, you know, her typical use of avoidance. And maybe that is the person who took care of ILI. And um, maybe that's why when she kind of came to after that fuzziness, she kind of, you know, jerked back because she didn't realize what happened. Like who killed ILI? That's the big kind of question in this plot line right now is who killed Eli? <laughs> was it self-inflicted? Was it done by a needle? Like she was wondering. I kind of like that. I really theory. like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Like sort of, sort of a ghost blood sleeper she has in herself mm-hmm. or something like that. That would be Maybe really interesting. Cool, like, yeah. I, like yeah. of course the typical thought would be like in my inner circle, like my squires mm-hmm. or someone, um, but they don't really, you know, know about her inner inner circle (laughs) (laughs) yeah but uh, speaking of her inner circle i actually really loved how um chala and guys and red here they interacted Mm -hmm. and how they're choking together so that was really fun to see the interactions yeah i loved watching gaz's story because he was so (laughs) despicable at the beginning and now i love him he's such a great secondary character and then he regrew his eye and Mm -hmm. And I know that a very popular theory that I actually also kind of subscribe to is that he had heterochromia where he had one light eye and one dark eye or something. But in um, words of Brandon, he said no. And in other <laughs> words of Brandon, he said Raffo. And so this, I think, is kind of like killing that theory because she didn't even think about him being light eyes or anything. So um, I feel like, you know, he's just a regular dark eyes awesome yeah guy i mean technically like uh, they uh, she also said that he managed to uh, draw in stormlight now some month ago mm-hmm. uh, like it, it apparently took him longer than others but uh oh it might have taken him longer he technically is a light eyes now <laughs> when he right, also gets right. some of his left lane. Or maybe, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe he grew his eye back the way he perceived himself. Mm. Like maybe he was heterochromic <laughs> and then he grew back a dark eye and so that he could be dark eyes, but then he had stormlight and no, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, um, yes, the Shinovar references are crazy <laughs> in these. Um, the wine made of grapes or berries. <laughs> um, actually, a lot of Eli's, um stuff has to do with Shinovar. Even mm-hmm. like the pattern on the blocks, the one that her book, her little secret notebook was behind was one with Shinovar's symbol on it or something. It's kind of interesting. Like it's pointing you in that direction. I hope Shalon and Patterns eye for Patterns <laughs> pick up on that. <laughs> I really want to go to Shinovar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder whether that's just like sort of internal to this chapter or to the room that because uh, why she actually noticed the pattern was because uh, it's one of the old buildings that was there before they built the war camps. So mm-hmm. it's actually from like Stormseed or the Silver Kingdoms. Mm-hmm. So I wonder whether it's just a hint within that mystery and uh, it's done now. But I also would find it cool if like there's a deeper story behind Shinova. So maybe, I don't know, Ristaris is from Shinova or something like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's just fun to see the LFE mm-hmm. sort of 
deal with the Shin culture and like, oh, we have these odd grapes and they don't really like their wine when it's actually real wine. <laughs> so, yeah, it's the real stuff. <laughs> and knowing what we know now, like they all descended from that, mm -hmm. but they're so <laughs> ingrained in Roshar now that that stuff is weird to them. <laughs> yeah. Really cool. It's funny to us, not to them. Yeah. They're like, oh, they're savages or whatever. <laughs> They don't even make real wine. <laughs> mm -hmm. But uh, something else that I noticed there is when Shalan, she sort of draws the room and like takes a memory, draws it, and she draws creations brand there very quickly. Like she says, mm -hmm. I said, oh, she had to shoot them away because they came very quickly. And I, I think that's the first, like in previous books and chapters, we always, she always drew creations brand, but it usually took some time for them to really show up. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe. if if that cousin spren theory is has any weight, then a lot of people are believing that the creation spren are going to be her plate spren. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. which I mean it has the theory has merit, I think. I don't know if it's completely true or not, but um yeah, the way that she specifically draws these creation spren so quickly and in every scene that she's drawing yeah. they're mentioned. Um and she's actually I feel like she's getting really close to kind of a breakthrough with her oaths and stuff. So Yeah. Yeah. Like, it almost makes me wonder whether like these creations when they actually stick around her all the time like they're mm -hmm. in even in the cognitive they're always close to her and so so they she doesn't really have to draw them as such she just mm -hmm. sort of has to okay come over <laughs> to the physical realm and they come then so yeah. yeah and she's constantly using her stormlight for her illusions and things like she really relies on that um and she relies on her ability to draw and stuff to solve puzzles. Like she, she said that she was drawing the the chest that the papers were in so that she could figure out if it had a secret compartment, mm -hmm. which I thought was really, really yeah, neat. Like she used awesome. that her art ability to deduce whether there was a secret cabinet. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> and like speaking of like patterns and what she tries to notice, uh, I also really loved pattern here. Who how he like didn't get the figures of speech like she said something like i don't know that's right or something like that and he mm -hmm. said oh no it's actually technically acute <laughs> it's a few it's degrees shorter. <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was really cute i really like pattern i i like mm -hmm. pattern and sill and window like they all have such <laughs> unique and cute and sweet personalities in my opinion <laughs> Can't wait to see more sprint and how they vary as well. Like yeah. especially like Ruhr, we already saw some of him, but especially like among the different types of sprint, how they um, differ as well. Like how much of a personality yeah. they have. Yeah, that's true. Like within the same order, how many different uh, you know honor spren mm -hmm. can we actually see you know <laughs> interacting and stuff? Yeah. That's going to be really fun, especially since there's so many Radiants now. Mm -hmm. um, it is really sad, though, because Ili is putting all of these um, doubts in Shalon's mind. Just even, you know, post-mortem, she's, she's making her doubt her, her, her friends, really, like Gaz and Red. And she, she hides the, the notes away from them and she she feels like she can't trust them but maybe the real person she can't trust is herself <laughs> maybe yeah and 
Uh, actually, for this, I just realized this or noticed this that that's actually sort of a neat parallel in this chapter between her point of view and Kaladin's because they sort of both have doubts about mm -hmm. the surroundings or about themselves here, and like, uh, and it's for both it's somebody external uh, who instills these doubts in them. So really neat uh, sort of parallel there, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they really depend on their squires yeah. and their fellow windrunners or light weavers. But they're also like in their mind, they're kind of like, can I really trust these people? It's kind of sad, but I really want them <laughs> to have friends. <laughs> <laughs> but we all know where a friendship leads, Moash. Why? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. It's actually, I, I didn't even pay attention in this chapter, but did Marsh ever, uh, I, I guess he wouldn't call himself by his name, but he didn't point out to Kaladin that he's technically called Raya now. Right, so. that's true. <laughs> I don't know. I always think of him as Moash. I don't think of Raya. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Something else, maybe just as a closing thought for me on this chapter, mm -hmm. uh, I really liked how Shalan was investigating her and uh, looking forward to more of that in this book. Mm -hmm. um, we sort of had it in the last book, but uh, an Oathbringer, but not quite as much of a mystery there. What I did note there is that Shalan seems to have dominated in this chapter. Like we had the beginning, we had a bit of whale, but then mm -hmm. it was mainly Shalan. Yeah, that's kind of like her role is the investigative um, part. <sighs> yeah, yeah, I think that that would be per her personality because she's kind of the dominant um person in the three and she uses veil and radiant as kind of her backup to make decisions or to work in a certain um in a certain capacity but then she takes over when um you know when she's doing this investigation when she's with adolin when she's talking to gaz and red i wonder if she she perceives it that way or if she thinks that they're all like a team mm -hmm. I think it's probably more of a team sort of uh, view for her because the way she talks, they they each have their own abilities or like their own responsibilities is what she says in this chapter here. So I think she really thinks they are all equals and um, maybe it's just that Shalan is so focused on her task right now is that the other um, personas just don't have a chance to even poke through or they don't need to comment because everything is just working fine right now mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's neat to see her growth too because in the beginning she was following around jasna she was like learning <laughs> she she had doubts about herself she was always comparing herself to jasna and stuff and now she's kind of on her own she's leading an investigation she's you know married to a high prince <laughs> you know it's it's nice to to read her having more confidence, I think. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of hyperness, like I'd really like to see some of that. <laughs> you know, how Adolin is dealing with it. So looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's he's so sweet. Oh, in this chapter, <laughs> he's he's so sweet to her too. Like, you know, giving her hugs mm -hmm. and and laughing about how she's walking around with no shoes on. <laughs> he's like, you're so weird. <laughs> Deliciously weird is what he said. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. And uh, did you have any other thoughts about chapter eight? I think eight? that's about it. Like, I really want to have a, a Venli chapter finally. <laughs> but, uh, yes. That's, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I've been waiting for it every week. I'm like, is this going to be it? Nope. <laughs> I think they kind of have to wrap it up a little bit um, mm -hmm. before it moves on to her. Otherwise, it'd be really jarring. 
Yeah. But um, actually, that kind of this chapter is kind of a wrap up. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, that was chapter eight. Uh, you can find all of these preview chapters at 9 a.m. Eastern time on tour.com and 17thshard.com will let you know right at nine o'clock when they come out and you can discuss them on our discord on our forums in the comments we really love interacting with you and thank you <laughs> bye bye see you next week